when uh, during the song or message that you are literally ushered into the throne room of God. And I sat there and listened and watched as Lauren sang this morning that song and remembered that story. And I couldn't help but wonder what Peter and James and John thought as they sat beside Jesus when she came in with her alabaster box. I feel like I experienced that this morning in watching her sing unto the Lord. You know, she didn't care what anyone thought of her that day when she came in, whether it was with her tears or with this, and they're all using excuse, and no doubt one leading the charge was Judas Iscariot. Do you know how much that's worth? Do you know what we could do with this? We could feed this and we could do this. He wasn't worried about that. He was worried about the money. She didn't care. When she came before the feet of Jesus, she wanted to bring what she had. I will tell you, if you're using an excuse not to sing or not to teach or not to serve in some way, listen, God does not care how professional you are, how uh, experienced you are. What God cares is that you bring your very best to his feet. So, Lauren, thank you for challenging us this morning to kneel at his feet to bring our best in worship to the only one that deserves it. And we're going to deal with that. Peter didn't fully comprehend when she came, but oh, after the resurrection he did. He saw the full picture. I believe he was so quickened in his spirit in that deep mourning and weeping when, he, when, that, when that rooster crowed that last time and the weight of sin comes smashing down on his head and on his spirit when he ran and hid. But when Jesus came in love and forgiveness and resurrection power and oh the power that Peter must have experienced when the Holy Spirit fell and he opened his mouth and began to proclaim the timeless truth that Jesus is Lord. And to see thousands saved, lives changed, and the world would never be the same as those people around Jerusalem went back to their countries and began to tell them, we have heard the good news. Jesus saves. This morning I want you to turn with me to the latter life of Peter, Second Peter, as Peter was headed toward his end, as we see 2 Timothy to be Paul's last will and testament, we really see 2 Peter as Peter's last will and testament. When I worked in government and began to move up through leadership, they would, you know, train you and everything, and you went to this Excel, not the computer, but leadership training and you was always going through some kind of training and orientation. The one thing that kind of stuck with me, two things. Number one, they would say, whatever you do, document, document, document. But the second thing was always 
sandwich criticism with praise. Try to lead in with, hey, uh, man, you've been doing a good job with this and doing this, but I need to talk to you about this. And then close with, I believe that you can do it. I believe we've seen evidence of it. And I'm, I'm encouraged that you're going to go and do something with what we're talking about. Second Peter's much like that. He starts with chapter 1, and he is building on the foundational principles of the truth who Jesus is, that the believers know who Jesus is, but then he begins to warn us in the latter part of chapter 1 and all the way through chapter 2. I know each message over the last three or four weeks seems like it's the exact same thing. It pretty much is. But because we are sheep, God has to remind us. Peter had to be reminded. You know, Peter would, he would be right, then he'd run off at the mouth, and Jesus would have to remind him. And then he would say, oh, if everybody leaves you, I won't. And Jesus had to remind him. And then he would say, oh, but uh, I'm your inner circle, and I'm this, and oh, it's good to be here. And God would have to remind him. Peter is reminding us through 2 Peter that Jesus is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. We need to remember that and know it, but beware, you have been warned that in the end times, perilous times would come. There would be a falling away from the faith. There would be lies and innuendos. There would be enemies all around us seeking whom they may devour. Now, good news, we're going to finish chapter 2, Lord's willing, today and next week, we'll start into that closing encouragement that's found in this short three-chapter epistle. This morning, knowing that we are to beware, to be awake, to see, to watch out for the pitfalls and for the attacks of the enemy, because we have been warned, we need to understand some truths. He said in 2 Peter 3, 17, Beloved, seeing you know these things beforehand, beware. Have you ever done something really dumb and thought, I know better than that. I know better than that. Why, why did I do that? Why did I waste my time with that? Why did I get tricked into doing something like that? Well, Satan has warned, uh, God has warned us, Satan is going to attack us. And by the way, if you're breathing, everybody breathing today? Then Satan's still going to attack you. You never, you never reach the pinnacle this side of glory. That's called glorification. As long as we're alive, we're going through the process of sanctification, God changing us, God maturing us, God calling us out. And the older we get, if we're going deeper in the faith, the less of this world we'll want. Y'all with me? The less of this world we'll want. My dad just turned 86. What do you get a man that's 86? That if he wants it, he gets it. He don't, I mean, if he wants it, he's just going to, he always, you know, as long as I remember. Now, when I was a boy, we didn't have a lot of money to get what we wanted. But when Daddy decided we're going to get a microwave oven, Daddy didn't get some rinky-dink, something or another. Now, we live in this little big cracker box house, and when he get this, got this microwave, I mean, it was big as this pulpit. 
I mean, it's too, it was huge. But it lasted. Daddy was like, I ain't going to do it if it ain't going to last. And he would get not the very best, but he would get the one that was one of the top of the line. He'd get something last. But the older he gets, you know, you can get him his favorite little cookie or something, and he's just fine. He don't need big things and other things. He's had all that stuff. He, he's had things that, that just didn't mean anything. Daddy's never been one to be overly sentimental. You try to ask him about stuff. Oh, it's just this or it's just that. But dad is closer to glory than ever before, but so are we. And the older we get in the faith, the less of this world we ought to want. Now, I'm telling you, hear me clearly. I am ready to go to glory. I'm ready to see my Savior. But being in the flesh and not completely comprehending everything, I'm not in a hurry. Y'all understand? Now, maybe you see that as being unspiritual. But if you'll be real honest with yourself, you know, I'm ready for the Lord to come back. I know it will be better. But I'm wanting to do what God wants to do in me and through me right now. And here's what we're facing in this world. We talked about how uh, last week to avoid the noise. The world is just, and, and we talked about all the things that Satan is throwing at us. And, and he talked uh, uh, about the destructive things and the false teachers that would lie and trick and do whatever. Well, today we want to look at something that we're used to hearing. Fake news. That's not something that just come up in the last four years. We heard it as a kid, didn't we? We read a story of a, a little chicken that wanted attention. And he would run around hollering, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. We heard the story of the boy who cried. He was always trying to get attention. Oh, the wolf's coming, the wolf's coming. And it was fake news. It was fake news. Do you remember when the people bought into the lie because they were so afraid of the king that they, when the king came, Having been tricked by a charlatan, they were afraid to say anything. And they said, oh, emperor, you're amazing. Oh, this is the most wonderful garments we've ever seen. It's just, it's so beautiful, it's transparent. Yet the emperor had no clothes. Second Peter tells us that the world will be full of fake news. Fake news. You know, when I was growing up, when I got a little bit older, when you and it's still when you go into the line at Walmart, there's two things there. There is the overpriced candy and stuff. There used to be a little toy rack, you know, to try to get the kids to grab this stuff and get it in the buggy before mom and daddy really realized it. And then there would be a stack of magazines and newspapers. Wasn't nothing news about them. Right? What's the most famous of them all? The National Enquirer. Inquiring minds want to know. They, that part's true. We want to know something that is exciting and something is new. And it's to the point that they just made up stuff and people now believe it decades later. 
There is not, there is as much evidence for a Bigfoot, Yeti, Sasquatch, and UFOs as there is for the Mormon religion, which is absolutely zero. Not one archaeological item. There's no corner of the golden tablets. There is no evidence throughout history of a lost tribe of Nephites. There is no mud people. There's none of the stuff that they try to teach. And there is no evidence for the other things that began as fake news. But you know, some things are not as obvious as Bigfoot. And other things that may seem obvious to us, there may be some in here that believes that. More power to you. But I want to tell you some bold, hard facts. Look with me again in 2 Peter verse 17. Chapter 2, verse 17. He said these, he was referring back to the false teachers, the false prophets, these are wells without water, clouds carried with a tempest, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Now, I want you to understand something. Once again, that verse 19 says, and we'll get to it in a minute, but for of whom a man is overcome, of the same is he brought into bondage. If we are overcome by trying to find something new, to find a new age. This is where false doctrine is born. This is where cults are born when they want to do it their own way. But I want you to be aware of something today. There are fake friends in this world. Mamas and daddies, you ever told your kids that? Well, you ain't outgrown it. I have seen grown adults go to weddings and go to things where they see some of their old friends and forget everything that they stood for so that they can fit in again. Church, we've been called out to be different, to stand out, to be a peculiar people, thus saith the Lord. We must realize the difference between a real friend and a fake friend. Well, let's look at the fake ones. How does he describe them? He describes them as wells without water. You know what you get with a well without water? A hole. That's what you get. Anybody of you grew up on a farm that had wells? Anybody, anybody else have wells? We had a well when we got married. Well, how many of you ever had a well go dry? What'd you do with that well, Ray? Covered it up, and usually what you'd do, and you'd use it for what else? Not just cover it up, as a dump site. Place you just throw stuff. Just because there's no water flowing through it anymore. The water table's changed or whatever water source there, so you're not gonna put it. So you just use it as a dump hole. Every piece of old junk, some kind of something that didn't work, it went into the hole. The Bible says that 
Fake friends are nothing but a big gaping hole that's trying to draw as much things in but has nothing really to offer. Thirst is left unsatisfied with these kinds of wells. Have you ever went off with someone you thought was your friend and you came back feeling just absolutely wrung out and empty and thought, that was just plain miserable. You know, that, that just don't, that's not what I had in my, my mind it was going to be. See, these wells without water, it's not just that they don't offer something, they take, you hear what I'm telling you? Fake news. The news says, oh, you need to be friends with the world. I'm here to tell you, friends offer something. Fake friends take something. They are always sucking on the life that is ours. Do you remember the story in John where Jesus, and I don't think he looked at them, got them all together, had a little platoon meeting, a little powwow, you know, got Peter and says, hey, Call everybody to order. Call them to attention. I got something I want to say. I don't think he did. I think they're just kind of strolling around. You know, Jesus is, now he's, he's never meandering. Jesus always had a point in his life. Jesus knew where he was going even when they thought he didn't. Jesus is walking and his apostles are just kind of walking around with him. And all of a sudden, without looking around, Jesus just says these words. I must needs go through Samaria. Now, you know, they're just strolling, you know. It's just a beautiful day, like yesterday, just a beautiful day, and they're out for a walk. And Jesus just says, hey, I, I got to go through Samaria. You know, it's like my wife, we get on a trip, and she said, oh, I need to go do this. Whoa, where'd that come from? You know, or I say it, I'm as guilty as she is. Hey, I really need to go buy Academy Sports. See, so you need or you want to. It's according to how you look at it, but I, I need to. You, it'd probably be a want. Me, it's a need. But Jesus said, I must needs go through Samaria. He said, I got, hey, we got to go through Samaria. All these guys, you say, okay, big deal. That's just maybe a little out of the way. No, it was such an impactful thing because Jews, Orthodox Jews didn't dare go into Samaria. They were half-breeds. They were rejects. They were, there were, was a systematic, if there's ever been a place that it actually works, it's right here. There was a systematic racism against Samaritans. But they earned a lot of it. Because they were different, they demanded the difference, even to the point, if you read into it, she said, we don't, we don't worship like y'all do. We worship in this mountain, you worship in that mountain, Jesus. No, there's a difference. We all going to worship in the same way, the same place. But here's the thing, he meets her right where she's at. Where was she at? She was at the well, drawing water. You draw water? Well, duh. Yeah, I'm drawing water. He said, well, bottom line, John 4, 14, he said, you can draw this water and thirst again. You know, you can go hang out with your buddies. 
You can go to do the things of the world and it'll make the flesh feel good for a little while. But when you meet Jesus and Jesus meets you where you're at, it will not just be a hole in the ground. He said, I will be the well that will have water springing up into everlasting life that if you drink of it, you'll never thirst again. That's the Jesus Lauren sang about this morning. That's the Jesus we sang about this morning that we sang paid our debt in full that loved us and gave his life for us that we should no longer be slaves to the empty holes in the ground, to be be cisterns, to be vessels that are broken and marred that can hold no water. Why do we expect a world that's just as lost and separated from God as we were before salvation to offer us anything in the form of a solution? Wells without water, clouds without rain. We've got farmers in here. Some of you grew up on farms, and there would be dry years. I remember in history of the Great Dust Bowl, where the American farmer was literally put out of business, all of them. When the winds blew and all the topsoil had run off and, and, and it was just nothing but a dust bowl and there was no way to plant, no way to do anything and it was just miserable. And oh, the deep depth of prayer for rain and a little cloud would come up and they'd think, oh, this may be it, only to see that cloud dissipate and go on. The Bible tells us here that fake friends are clouds with no rain. Carried about by a tempest. You see, a cloud was made for one thing, to announce and display the coming of rain. But these clouds didn't do their job. They, it does not announce the blessing of rain, but brings winds of conflict. Do you remember, and this, man, I love this. So Elijah prayed that it would stop raining, and it did, did it? Didn't it? For how long? About three and a half years. And I was on Mount Carmel back in January. And look, you look down over toward the back, you look toward the Valley of Armageddon. Toward the front, you look over Haifa, the huge port where the American 7th Fleet comes in. And I mean, it's unbelievable, just gorgeous. And I can imagine Elijah sitting up there and you know he had his servant, right? Everybody's not going to be Elijah, by the way. Some are going to be the servant. But dig on this for just a minute. So Elijah sits down. And Elijah begins to pray, doesn't he? He prays for rain. And it said that he put his head down. And I think literally had his head down between his knees like this. And his hands over his head, trusting in God. And he sent, and he would pray, and he would send his servant. And his servant would go look, and he'd say, no, there ain't nothing. Clear blue sky. Did he quit? How many of us quit after that first prayer? Well, God just ain't listening. 
So he prayed again. He sent him again. He prayed again. He sent him again. He prayed again. Sent him again. And then finally, there was a time where Elijah's faith had not weakened. If anything, he had grown stronger, believing, hey, I'm closer to the answer now than ever before. And he prayed. He said, go look. And here's what's cool. Elijah didn't see it first. Who saw it first? The servant. And the servant walks out. And he gets to the crest of the hill and he looks out over Haifa Bay. He looks out over the ocean. And he come running back, hollering all the way, Elijah, Elijah, there's a cloud. Now, you and me wouldn't get very encouraged because he said, man, it's about the size of a man's hand. Well, right there, that's not very big, is it? And Elijah said, well, let's just wait until it builds. Elijah said, son, saddle up. It's coming. And they didn't stroll around. They didn't dilly-dally. They went, the Bible says, to running. And as they began to run, it began to rain. And for three and a half years, it rained and it rained and it rained. I'm going to tell you something. When God begins to rain on our life, when we begin to seek Him, there will not be fake clouds in the sky that look so pretty and puffy as little angels floating around. And we look up and we see different shapes but hold no water, there will be clouds that will pour out righteousness and blessing and joy and forgiveness and things that you and I so desperately need in our soul. There's ever been a time that America needs the winds of conflict to blow those clouds out and the clouds of blessing come over us. You remember that song? Showers of blessing, showers of blessings we need. Mercy drops round us are falling, but for the showers we plead. Oh, that we would cry, God, be that shower of blessing in my life. May we not be those clouds without rain. And then he goes on and speaks of them in the, in the, in the descriptive of mist of darkness. It was as a fog that would fall where you wouldn't see up in Cleveland, Tennessee, as you go through Chattanooga and you head out to go toward Knoxville, you cross a river there that's got a huge paper plant on it. It's headed up toward Oak Ridge, Tennessee. And as you go through that, that huge plant, it's putting out steam all the time and it sits right on that river. And sometimes there's a perfect storm because of the humidity in the air and the dew, dew point uh, uh, through the barometric pressure and the temperature rising and falling, that the temperature will be just right. And with that moisture from the river, the steam from the plant, there will become a great fog bank to the point there are cross, cross arms like a railroad track on the interstate to stop it. You don't know why? Because several years ago, during this perfect mist of darkness, those those clouds began to build and that fog uh, enveloped all of the interstate to the point there was a 60-something car pileup and people began to lose their lives one after the other as those cars began to pile up over and over and over. If you ever watched it on ice, this was on a clear day, but the temperature was just right and that mist of darkness blew in. I want to tell you something. 
You see, fake friends promise light, but they deliver darkness. Jesus, we're told in the first chapter of John, is light. And his light is the life of men. When we get focused on him shining his light in us and through us and on us, everything around us begins to live. Fact. You didn't hear me say all your problems will go away and you'll become rich. What I said was things around us live. Do you know sometimes the things that live and grow the best is when somebody piles manure on top of it and it's rained on. You feel like your parade's being rained on right now? You feel like the world's dumped a load of chicken manure on you? Hey, Just keep growing and let God give the fruit. Don't you worry about the mist of darkness. Stay in his marvelous light. Second of all, not only fake friends, but fake promises. You ever had somebody promise you something and didn't deliver? Anybody? You ever made a promise and you didn't deliver? I've been on both ends of that. And I don't know, well, I do know what's worse. As mad as I'd get when somebody would make me a promise and not fulfill it, I could not be as mad as I would be myself when God convicted me of a promise I made and didn't keep. And some of those promises that I've made in my life that I didn't keep, it's too late. And I can't do anything about it. Bible says don't make promises you can't keep. Don't vow a vow and not keep it. But can I tell you today, the world is full of fake promises. He said in verses 18 and 19, for when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, swelling words of emptiness, you know what I think about there? A big balloon. Boy, that balloon gets bigger and bigger, but you pop it and you realize there was nothing in it but just hot air. Great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lust of the flesh. Through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. Inflated words, nothing but air. No substance. Listen, we must be attentive to listen closely. I want to share something with you as a pastor. People ask me all the time, hey, have you ever heard preacher so-and-so and and doctor so-and-so and and this one so-and-so? Number one, there's nothing that blesses a pastor any more than to have his church members tell him how wonderful all the other preachers are. So please keep that coming. The second thing that really gets on us it's when somebody quotes to us a false prophet. Man, I was listening to Joel, I mean, uh, uh, to Joyce, I mean, uh, on and on and on. And sow a seed, plant a seed, name it, claim it, hold it up, shake your fist, God's going to give it, all this kind of stuff. I don't know if you realize this, but John didn't retire to the Isle of Patmos. He was exiled there on a prison ship. I don't know if you realize it, 
But Paul didn't die of Alzheimer's. They cut his head off. I don't know if you realize it, but Peter didn't die from exposure. They nailed him to a cross. They didn't die of prosperity. They died of sincerity because they were sold out to the one who gave his life for them. It's inflated words. When you listen to this stuff, listen closely. Hear this. I wrote this. You want to quote something? Quote this one right here. Smart words does not make one wise. Smart words does not make one wise. I love to listen to Ben Shapiro. Ben Shapiro is brilliant. That guy is brilliant. He backs off of no one. But I've seen him meet and talk in a friendly debate, both agreeing completely down the line on politics, but meet with a born-again believer. And he has no answer, except for the fact that he will stick with the old stuff and not accept Jesus as Savior, as Messiah. He's an Orthodox Jew. Ben Shapiro is a wonderful guy. He's lost. He needs his Messiah. He needs Jesus. And then there's those that pontificate. There's that word y'all said I'd use. Isn't that phenomenal? My mom always said, don't know. So, um, you know, people begin to wax eloquent and they begin to expound on all they know. You know how you know whether a person is a fool or not? They'll tell you. The Bible says that a fool is known in many words. They just talk and talk and talk and talk. You know. We find this truth to be found. Well, you know the thing. You know the thing. You know what thing our whole country was founded upon? Listen, y'all got real worried. I got political right there. If you don't get political, we're going to lose our country. Y'all run me off if you want to, but I'm telling you, you, I think you can still register, right? Still register? Too late? All right, if you're not registered to vote, then I don't want to hear a single word. Don't dare. Don't tell your kids. Don't tell your grandkids. If this country falls apart, you can't say nothing. Don't say, you have no right. You say, I've got a right, I'm American. No, you forfeited your right when you didn't register to vote. And if you're registered and you say, well, it's not going to make a difference. I want you to understand something I heard this week from our guy at the Georgia Baptist Mission Board, Mike Griffin, who is kind of our lobbyist for religious liberty in Georgia. He said 53,000 votes in a population of a state of somewhere between 8 and 9 million people. 53,000 isn't much. Would y'all agree with that? 53,000 votes. And we're just like New York and California and we're not in this church right now. Right? 53,000 votes different and we're wearing a mask in our home and we're not allowed to go anywhere and do anything. 
53,000 votes different in the last governor's election. Now, I'm not, I'm not propping up Brian Kemp. What I'm telling you is the other candidates said they would do exactly that. We better listen to the words people are speaking. You know, they've scared our senior adults to death. Oh, they're going to take away your Medicare. They're not. Nobody's going to take any of that away. It's a lie. It's a lie. It's a lie. The words you need to hear is, I think eight-year-olds should be able to decide whether they're a boy or a girl. That's the words you better be listening to. The words that says it's a woman's right to choose. Oh, that sounds very wonderful. Yes, we're all for women choosing. And lives matter, and this life matter, and that lives matter, and all these, these things matter. I'm going to tell you what matters. 65 million unborn babies who could not speak for themselves have been put to death since Roe v. Wade. That is, we are approaching the total numbers of death for the entire World War II. Nazis, Americans, Australians, Guineas, Russians. Hey, there was over a million deaths just in the Battle of Stalingrad. We're approaching the total worldwide number with roughly 70 million people died in World War II. And we've just about done that to ourselves. You want to complain about taxes? I hate taxes. I hate taxes. On the average year, you're into May before you ever make any money. Do you know why you pay so much taxes? If you take from 1973 on, let's just say someone was born in 1980. How long ago has that been? How old would they be? 40 years old. So if they started working... Let's say they didn't even go to college. They just went to work right out of school. Maybe even worked a little bit in school. They don't wait till you graduate high school to take taxes out. Did you ever notice that? They started working at 18 years of age. That means they've worked, they would have worked for 22 years. That, am I correct? They would have been pay, paying FICA. They would have been paying state, local. They would have been paying property taxes. They would have been paying... Uh, sales tax, y'all with me? Hotel, motel tax, flight tax, gas tax. They had been paying all that. 65 million taxpayers gone. There's your economy problem. If you solve the heart problem and the life problem, the money problem will take care of itself. Don't you dare vote for your wallet. Because you're saying, God, I don't trust you. I trust politicians. You vote what God's word says. Vote what God's word says. That we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And every person, red, white, black, Hispanic, Asian, mixed breed, not breed, whatever it is, was created in the image of God. Do you hear what I'm telling you? The people that make you the maddest, listen to me. I quoted him loosely a while ago. No, I didn't. I quoted him exactly. Joe Biden was created in the image of God. 
Kamala Harris was created in the image of God. Klobuchar and all those that gave Amy Coney Barrett. You know why she paid respect? Because she is so bought into her belief of pro-life, she treated them like they were created in the image of God. You don't know why? Because they were. Reagan says, Have, is it any wonder that the only people who are against abortion are the ones who was not aborted? Inflated words is doctrinally false. Smart words does not make one wise. Luring words. Now this is what, a lot of times those inflated words, we can see that, we can pop that bubble pretty easy. But luring, and it's doctrinally false. And here's the problem. Do you know most cult members actually came out of evangelical, and that word don't mean anything anymore. It, they came out of, out of Baptist churches and Methodist churches because they bought into a false doctrine because they never learned right doctrine. We ought to know what we believe if we're going to say we're Baptist. Are y'all with me? We ought to know where we stand and what we believe. But luring words, he said, allure of these things. Oh, look, man, it's so shiny. It's so wonderful. You see, they tell you what you want to hear. It's a devious plot. Tell you just what you want to hear. Any of you ever walked down through the French Quarter in New Orleans? The French Quarter? That's a spooky place, isn't it? And they'll come out. We'll be walking down there. I had to grab Ethan. And me and him had to just kind of protect each other. Because those girls would come out of these little corners and wrap their arm around, come on in, baby, and come, you know, and all this stuff. And, and they're just being trafficked. Human trafficking. And it's alluring, oh, baby, come on, you're so handsome, come on in here. Come do this and come do that. And they're reaching out to our young people, oh, just join us, you'll be the coolest, you'll be the highly most respected, we'll all love you and accept you. I'm going to tell you, if that's what it takes, I don't want to be accepted. Because no matter what, Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible, of which I got a new one. For the Bible tells me so. Alluring Words, they tell you what you want to hear, but it's just a devious plot. And entrapping words, this is deceptive goals. Their goal is to deceive you. That's what the world, I like what somebody put. There ought to be a way to design it to where if you vote early, you could opt out of every political advertisement there is. Would that not be awesome? I would say we'd move the election up two years earlier if I could get out of listening to all that stuff. But it's so funny. It's not, it's not hilarious. It's funny in a very sad way that the competing candidates will be back to back and one is saying exactly what the other one is and both of them are calling each other a liar. Somebody is a liar. And the truth is, the Bible says they're both liars. Even the one I'll vote for, 
Even you, even me, we're all in the human flesh liars. We lie to ourselves. We lie to our family. We lie to our neighborhood. We lie about things through the luring of the flesh. But the world, the lost world is so deceptive. They're going through these, these lies after, and they appeal to our flesh. If you'll vote for me, man, I'm, I'm, I've got an A rating from the NRA. If you vote for me, then you can have abortion on demand. If you vote for me, we're going to cut taxes. Oh, if you vote for me, we're going to raise taxes, but we're going to raise it on the, on the wealthiest of the wealthiest, and we're going to spread it all around. If you vote for me, we're going to make college all free. If you vote for me, I'm not going to because you'll pay for it. It's luring words, isn't it? And it appeals to the flesh. Oh, man, I can get this out of it. I can get that. We've learned if we say the right things, we're like circus seals. We, we'll jump through the right hoops if we think we'll get something out of it. You know, that's how we train dogs. You know, hey, sit, stand, hold a treat. And if they do it, they know they'll get a treat. But we do the same thing. Are we not more than circus seals? Are we nothing more than house pets? Let us not be sucked in by the fleshly desires that are entrapped by words. The ego, they go after the ego. They play on our mind. Oh, you'll be great. You'll be wonderful. You, I mean, listen, you're so great. We've got to have you. You, you are, you're more. I mean, false doctrine that says, as we are, God once was, and as God is, we one day will be. Whoa, man, I can be a God. I remember the first person that said that. His name was Satan, and he told Adam and Eve that if you eat of that tree, you'll be a God. And yet they flocked to it. Deceptive through luring words that appeal to the ego and to the mind. Listen, some people are walking through this life so full of guilt and confusion. They're carrying so much baggage that they say, you don't know what I've done. There's no way God can forgive me. You know what my answer is? You don't know what I've done. But what I do know is what Jesus did. And I know who he did it for. Today, listen to me. If you get nothing else out of this, believer, stop with the baggage. Stop believing the entrapping words of Satan and his minions telling you you can't get by that guilt, that confusion, all the baggage of the past when Jesus said, bring it to me and leave it here. Some of us feel like there is a hundred foot high, 50 foot thick wall of concrete and iron between our chair and this altar because Satan has built that wall and we won't allow God to tear it down that we may come and find freedom. The mind has become entrapped. But then fake believers, look with me very quickly. For if after they have escaped the pollution of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The latter end is worse 
than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit and a sow having been washed to her wallowing in the mire. A pig is going to be a pig. And a dog is going to do dog things. We've got to realize and mark them for what they are. Fake believers. Wolves in sheep's clothing. Hear me today. Experience is not inheritance. Do you hear what I just said? Experience is not inheritance. Now let me explain. Y'all know my mother and dad very well. And many of you refer to them with a very familial and term of endearment, nanny and nang-nang. That's what their grandchildren call them. Many of you call them the exact same thing. And there's members in this church I call by their familial name. Whether it's Papa or Mama or whatever. But here's the truth. Mama and Daddy only had three boys. And when it comes inheritance time, ain't no boy but nobody's name gonna be called but them three boys. Because them three boys are Brady's. And that's who mom and dad have in their will. And I want you to understand, because you come skipping and popping gum down an aisle during Bible school and signed a card and nodded your head because everybody else was doing it, or because you wanted to get your wife off your back, and so you come to church and you, you say, yeah, I did this and I did that, but you've never come to the inheritance of kneeling before a holy God and saying, I am lost. I am a sinner bound for hell. And without Jesus Christ, I have no hope. No matter the baptismal experience, the Lord's Supper experience, the summer camp experience, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've just had an emotional experience and your spirit's never changed. Warren Wiersbe said, Sin always promises freedom, but in the end brings death. It's an entangled heart. Our heart is wrapped up. You remember the, the, the parable of the sower and the seed? All those were not Christians. Some of them, the word had been preached around them. The word had fell on them, but the word never penetrated to their soul to bring forth fruit. The thorns of this world choked them out. They're entangled in their heart. They're entangled in their mind. The people in their mind says, oh, there's more than just this God. Or uh, the Gnostic says, we can't know if there's a God. The atheist says, I know there's not a God. And everything in between. But my friends, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We must get by having an entangled mind and an entangled spirit allowing 
Satan to drag us down. Dying to sin is to be made alive forevermore in Jesus Christ. And finally, as they come to the instruments in verse 20, he said, But after they had escaped the pollution of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, they entangled themselves again and be overcome. What if we go past just the knowledge? What if we get past just the knowledge that Jesus came to the earth? That we get past the, mind, the head knowledge of being born of a virgin and living without sin and dying on a cross. What if we get past that? Then we realize as he tells us throughout the scripture that we have a friend that sticks closer than a brother. One who will never leave us nor forsake us. His name is Jesus. We realize that he's full of real promises. He tells us right here in 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 4, exceedingly great and precious promises. Not one promise God has ever made in this scripture has been broken. Not one. He's a real friend that makes real promises. But you need to understand He's only for real believers. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. Only one name, one Savior, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And that's faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Fake news will kill you. It will steal your joy, rob you of happiness, and trick you into a devil's eternity. But today, if you will believe the truth, Jesus, and come before him in repentance and for seeking his forgiveness, God will save you. If you're saved and you've not been listening to the right voice of truth, you've been a fake friend following fake doctrine, and you need to be resting on his promises and no one else's. This altar has your name on it. And your Savior knows your name. Stand and come to Jesus today. Stand and come. Come to him. Right now.